Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestsellers, key players in their profession, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next chaos-crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hi there, and welcome back. It's Dr. Colleen here. Before we get into the show, I just want to acknowledge that we have all been through some chaotic times this week. I'm recording this a couple of days after Biden was named the president-elect, and we have had people on both sides of the fence reacting, some rejoicing and others loudly questioning the results. It's all too much to take in for some of us. And, you know, most of us like to have a defined path for transition or change. Now, if you join me as being one of those people, then I want to encourage you to really take some time to sit with how you're feeling, recognize that you're doing your part for what you can do. And until any change does take place, our lives go on as they have. Just keep moving forward because change is inevitable. That gets me to today's interview. I had the opportunity to interview Robert DeLude. Robert and I met through the podcast community online. He is the up and coming host of the None of Your Business podcast, where he talks with entrepreneurs about anything but their business. I was fortunate enough to record a conversation on his show a little while ago and should be coming out soon. But today I'm going to flip the tables on Robert as the host and have this conversation with him about what's important to him. He's a guy who has survived drug addiction and forged a new path for himself to pursue his passions. And he's done it all before he's even turned 30. He's really public about the good and the bad days. And we are going to chat about what he has learned about himself through his struggles and through his successes and how he's learned to persevere and now prosper on the flip side of recovery. You know, he has a really inspiring story just when you hear about all the dark places where he goes. And even if you haven't had the addiction struggle, everyone struggles with something sometime. And just because our struggle isn't the same doesn't mean that we can't gain from the wisdom that someone who has survived their struggle, you know, what they have to say about it, whether it's self-confidence or how to put what's best for you as the priority in your life, even when your friends or other people may want you to do something else, you know, that's important. And then of course we have the podcast and I want you to hear what Robert's bringing to his audience through his show. Let's get to it. Hey, it's Dr. Colleen here with a quick break to let you know what I've got going on over at patreon.com slash coaching through chaos podcast. That's the site where you can get some exclusive items just for supporting the show with a small contribution each month. I've got four levels to pick from, but the best value will be tier two, the Chaos Crushers tier. For signing up to be a Chaos Crusher at just $9 a month, the big thing you're going to get is three new self-help recordings each month done exclusively for my Patreon subscribers. You will also get a Chaos Crushing ebook and a shout out on the show for your support. Now, if you're in a position to support just a little bit more, there are ways to get even a 20-minute coaching call with me every month. Go over and check it out at patreon.com slash coaching through chaos podcast. And if you wish you could support the show, but it's just not in your budget to give a few dollars, that is perfectly okay. I am just glad that you're here with me on this podcasting journey. So let's get back into the show. Thanks, Robert, for being with me on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad that I'm here. It's definitely an honor and a privilege to to be here. So thank you. Yeah, Robert, before we get into your life story and everything else, I want to take a second to start because I did mention that you are on the flip side of recovery. So, and I want to acknowledge that. So as of today, like, where are you in your recovery? How long has it been for you? Yeah, so I've been in recovery for seven years, but I haven't stayed sober that entire time. So on January 5th, it will be two years. Awesome. And then later when we dive into the story, we can we can get into the details about that. But January 5th is where the last time I used in 2018. 
Excellent. All right. Well, you know, congratulations on that. I always think it's really good to kind of acknowledge where a person is in that process so that we kind of get that this isn't something that just happened yesterday for you. And, uh, that this has been years of being in it. And as you said, it's it's in recovery and there's, you know, other other things that happen along the way that kind of shift up how long it's been since you've used anything. So why don't we get into some of your story and talk about what have you learned about how you even came to be someone who had to deal with an addiction? Like when I would go into like elementary school as a young kid, and I just felt different. People would be playing basketball, you know, having fun. And I just felt like a fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. I was the same age, same size, same skin color. And I just felt like a fly on the wall. So when I came, you know, into middle school and the opportunity for a substance to be there for me to feel different, mm-hmm. I took it. You know, I started smoking weed and started drinking and I just felt like I was a part of, I was part of the cool kids. Ah. So, you know, I got into a car wreck in seventh grade. Uh, My aunt spoon fed me Oxycontin. I was taking 40 milligram Oxycontin when I weighed like maybe a hundred pounds in seventh grade. Wow. And from there, you know, I got a hundred grand from the, from the car settlement and I was just buying cocaine, flipping it doing drugs molly actually had dropped out of school i was running drugs all across the state um and the northwest wait now we're talking like teenager this was this was not yeah. the actions of yeah. a of an of an old of an old man this is like a kid you're talking about 12 years old and the oxy and now do you have any idea now if your aunt really knew like that it could be like the lead-in for something oh. Yeah, my aunt is a full addict right now. So maybe not in the moment. Yeah. But, you know, I I got into a car wreck and I was in pain. So she was just helping me out. Mm -hmm. I don't think she was doing it to like, you know, to hurt me. Yeah. I think she was just like, I want to help you. And I was just taking the oxys like probably more than what she was thinking. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't yeah, think so, but, so you got that you got that relief early on though about like that a substance can like make you feel better than you had been yeah. feeling around other people. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. My anxiety went away, my confidence went up, I could talk to women, I could talk to guys, I I could function. Like what my anxiety level was when I so I used to be a janitor, which is nothing wrong with that, but I used to be a janitor, and if somebody was in their office. And I like just had to go to their desk and grab their trash can. If they were in their office, I would literally have a panic attack because I might have to have a conversation with this person. Uh-huh. And no, they would just say hi. I would have a panic attack so many times I'd fall or I would, uh, you know, collapse because my anxiety was so high. Like I couldn't talk to people. So when you give me a substance to make me feel okay and all my worries and my confidence go up, then I'm going to do it. And then unfortunately, the substances that I like, I got addicted, you mm-hmm. know, but I, you know, I, I was born an alcoholic. I, I fully believe that it, it didn't matter. Like my story is mostly drugs, mm-hmm. but I have a thinking problem and it, you know, it centers in my mind. I am a full blown alcoholic, but like, it's easier for me if I'm going to call somebody to get me booze, then why not? The guy who's buying me beer is my dealer. Then why, like, why not just get drugs? Mm-hmm. So I just got addicted to drugs and definitely there was drinking, but when you're, you know, don't even have a license and you have a debit card with a hundred thousand dollars on it and drug connections and like, yeah. that's just the way it happens. And then I, you know, I, I came to the point where, uh, you know, the market crashed in 2008, my dad's business failed. I was, I had to start selling drugs. Well, I didn't have to start selling drugs. They found out that I was selling drugs and they're like, okay, you're going to pay our bills or you're going to get the fuck out. Oh, wow. So it was one of these things where, well, if you're going to do it, then it needs to benefit us too. And can I ask a little bit, are you comfortable talking about like the fact that you were just given that debit card and access to that hundred thousand dollars when really there was like, no, it doesn't sound like you had much supervision over that as a, as a kid. No, no. Like, you know, the, I definitely took advantage of my parental household for sure. My, my my dad's an alcoholic. My mom 
uh, has been disabled with MS for years. So, uh, you know, a young kid running and gunning, like I took advantage of it. I manipulated the system and, you know, my older sister was kind of like my, my mom growing up, but she has her own life going on and I would go to the bank and I would just sign whatever I need to sign. And like, I live in a, my hometown, like had 30,000 people on it. And like, they still trusted your word when you went into the bank. Mm-hmm. So like I definitely manipulated the system and uh, my actions got me like it didn't matter if you you know locked me up in a room I was still gonna find a will I was definitely gonna find a way that's just the way that I was so you know I uh, if you fast forward the script that's basically my life you know I'm then you know from oxys it goes to heroin and mm-hmm. then. You know, at 19 years old, I end up, well, no, it's so at 17 years old, I'm like, you know what? This is the life that I know that like, no, no 16 year old is doing this shit. Uh-huh. Like right. nobody's doing this. So like there's a, the national guard youth challenge program. Um, there's one in Montana and I was like, I need to get my GD. I need to gain some weight and I just need to get the hell away from these people the 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 circle of friends that I was with yeah so so you could already see that like you needed to do something for yourself because it sounds like no one else was really going to do it at that point they were yeah. weren't stepping in to go this needs to change yeah absolutely I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired I didn't know what alcoholism was because I thought alcoholism was the guy down behind the dive bar mm-hmm. being homeless like I had no idea yeah. And when I think you're that age, you're not supposed to know what an alcoholic is, but maybe um, the D.A.R.E. program just showed me what drugs I wanted to take. So, but, so I, I go to this youth challenge program for six months and, you know, I, I'm going to, AA, going to AA meetings in there. And, you know, when I get out, I make it a month without drinking. I drink and I end up drinking that night, getting drunk, running back up to Spokane, my plug. And just doing the exact same thing that I got away from. And then when you throw heroin in it, I end up living in Spokane. Uh, My girlfriend kicked me out. I had to take a bus back to Montana in the middle of winter. Like, luckily, my friends, you know, they wired me money so I could buy a pair of shoes because she kicked me out with no shoes, no nothing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I... I saw that my life was spiraling out of control again. And and yet you were doing what so many people, because I know people are going to listen because of this story of overcoming addiction. And so many people are going to relate to what you just said too, about kind of the cycle of going into rehab. And like the, when you get out, like you might get a couple of weeks, you might get 30 days, but like for whatever reason, it wasn't lasting and Absolutely. you just kind of cycled around. Yeah. Um yeah. And so, and then now you found yourself in Spokane, got some shoes on your feet from your friends and trying to figure out what, what was next for you. You know, well, it was taking a bus back to, back to Montana after lots of crying and, you know, I'm ended up living in my hometown for a little bit. And like, I can see that like the feds are best on my buddies. Houses are getting kicked in by the DEA. Like things are just going bad. And I'm like, what okay, like I'm 19 years old and I'm shooting up drugs. Like I need to do something. So, you know, I, I went and talked to my grandma my grandma got me into treatment. And then I went to treatment, um, June 4th, 2013. And I ended up staying sober for three years and my life changed. I, you know, people trusted me. It was, you know, my life was the best it's ever been before then. You know, when you go into a 12 step program and work the steps and do like take care of yourself, Mm -hmm. you can do it. And then, you know, I I stopped taking care of myself three years after or a month after my three year birthday. I end up having uh, one out of three surgeries on my testicles. And yeah, I had a lump in there and it wasn't cancerous, but like the surgery got done and then I got addicted to painkillers again. Oh no. Yeah. And then it was a 15 month cycle of the surgery, just trying to get the surgery to work and having emergency surgery and more painkillers. And then I, you know, get sober for like six, nine months. And then 
you know, it was since I got addicted to the painkillers, I would try and get off the box in. Yeah. And then I get off the box. I'm like, fuck this shit. I'm sick. I need to go out. Or like I get into like, I'm codependent. I'm uh-huh. super codependent. You, if you smile at me or if you wink your eye at me, mm-hmm. you are my source of love. So I got, I'm, so you I'm find at, someone. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Absolutely. And now before we get into that part of life, you know, can we go back just a little bit? Like you, you got at, like whatever happened when your grandma stepped in and helped you get to rehab that, that last time before the, the surgery started, what was different for you when you got out and were able to be clean? Like, how did you sustain that? You know, mm-hmm. what was different that time that it lasted? Yeah. So there was a gentleman that I used to party with. And he went to prison and ended up getting sober. And like this guy, like I thought I drank and used drugs. This guy, like, holy sh! like <laughs> he outdid me. And, you know, I found out that he was going to AA. So I met up with him and he just had a different look on his face. Mm-hmm. He had, you know, this like bright twinkly thing in his eye. And I'm like, I want that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I stay connected with him when I was in treatment and I asked him to be my sponsor in a 12 step program. And then he took me through those actions of what a 12 step program does. You know, I got into the steps and he got me into service work. You know, he got me a job at his job. Uh, we were end up building drift boats, which and got paid absolutely garbage for doing uh-huh. it. Yeah. But, you know, there was only three of us in the shop. All of us were in recovery. We were roommates. We went to the gym and I got involved. I got like, I got out of myself. Mm-hmm. Well, and this, this friend of yours, like saw you as like worth helping. Yeah. Who kind of took you under his wing and then became your sponsor and kind of took you along to the job and everything else. Like, it sounds like it's one of these times where, I don't know, from, from what you're saying, it sounds like you were on your own a lot and maybe didn't get a lot of signs that, you know, you're worth, worth it or worth investing in, you know, and caring about. Um, So it sounds like this guy, that was one of those things that really influenced the difference uh, in helping you sustain it was that like you were getting also that reinforcement that someone else thought you were worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, yeah, he was like an older brother. Mm-hmm. You know, he like he showed that care and concern like literally when i got sober at 19 i didn't know how to cook a meal of course you didn't <laughs> i like one i never ate but like i didn't know how to do anything like this man literally spoon fed me my sobriety spoon fed me life and like he would wake me up at 5 a.m we'd go to the gym he'd show me how to work out he'd show me he would train me in my job like this guy literally like he saved my life, mm-hmm. you know, he showed that care concern. And like for that, yeah. I'm forever grateful. And like a lot of people don't get that opportunity. Yes. They don't. I just happen to be, I got lucky. And that's why it's so important through, through the recovery process for people to connect. I mean, because if you didn't put yourself out there and get to a meeting, you, you wouldn't have found this old friend of yours. And that opportunity probably would have been missed because those are those one-off kind of things, but it takes being there to get it or to even have the chance of getting it. They say don't leave before the miracle. So I'm glad that I didn't. And uh, so then though, then you had a very similar experience for a lot of people also who struggle is that you then had a medical issue Mm -hmm. and got put on the pain pills did you have an inkling at that time that that was going to set you off? Or did you think you were that strong in your recovery that you were kind of like, Oh, Hey, I can handle this. Cause it's just for the surgery. No, I straight up told my doctor, I do not want the pain meds. Oh, uh-huh. And he was like, I can't perform the surgery. Like, I'm not going to do, do that to you. And uh-huh. I was like, okay, maybe, Maybe. So I like, I text my roommate and I text one of my friends, my kid, can you guys dispense these meds to me? Because if not, then I'm probably going to get back into my old behavior. And like, I was definitely worried. Like I, you know, just because like he was giving me painkillers, like I, and I'm a heroin addict, Mm -hmm. like that's just a bad mix. Like, yeah. It's I, terrible. Yeah. So, 
and like my friends were dispensing the meds to me, but then I would get into my old behavior. I'm like, well, if I cheek it and when they go to work, I can just snort it. And slowly but surely, that's what I was doing. And then I was shooting up in my bedroom. My roommate was in the program. He's right us right upstairs from me. I would have to sneak out of my back door so I didn't see him because I was just so just filled with guilt and shame and like, oh geez, he's like babysitting me while I'm recovering from the surgery and I'm fucking getting high down here. Mm-hmm. Like it's just not it's not. But you know, if because of you know that foundation that that gentleman gave me, I always knew where to go back. And like, I really never really left recovery. Mm-hmm. I would still like go to, you know, these, the fellowship and be strung out. I just, it was hard for me to stay clean. That's why all of that exists. Cause it is hard to stay clean, but to your credit, right? Like you kept going even when you weren't in a condition to be there. Yeah. Um, so then you did get though off of that again and made some strides again. Yes. Yeah. So I would, I I got off. I made it like six, nine months. I would make it. And then I met this girl. Ah, yes. So I met this girl and we were like, we're both like nine months sober or something. And we started dating after a meeting and that, uh, you know, like a week after we started dating, she moves in with me. Uh, really like she was, she had borderline personality disorder and I'm codependent Uh and there was like this force, this like Mm -hmm. evil force that just held us together. And like, it didn't matter if she pulled or I pulled, it would just, we would do this codependent two-step and you know, she had a, like, so she, we both relapsed together. She couldn't pass her drug test because she was on parole or probation. And Mm -hmm her probation officer was like, if you don't pass it, your drug test again, I'm going to lock you up. So we had this brilliant idea of going down and living in Las Vegas. And I was planning for jobs and I had some pretty decent jobs lined up mm-hmm. and some cast jobs lined up. Like everything seemed legit. She had a friend down there. Uh, they let us crash on their couch. Granted her friend was, was a prostitute and she was going to help us out until we got on our feet. Like, that didn't like, excuse me, in my head, like that wasn't like a, like, that wasn't flag. a crazy idea back then. No. It was but, like, okay, well, excuse me. Like, that's exactly what we're like. That's what we're going to do. Like, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to lie to my family. I'm going to lie to my friends. I'm going to lie to everyone. Say that I'm moving to California. I told one person that I'm moving to California. One other person that I'm moving or just going to Bozeman for the weekend. And then we were gone. And, you know, three days into Vegas, like there's a pimp next door that's that busted down our door trying to get this girl to work. You know, gunshots are going off. And I'm like, what the f- what French toast did I get myself into? Right. Because you're the you're the guy who was the kid from a small town in Montana who could walk around at a bank at 13 and have access to his bank account because everybody trusted you. Now you're in Vegas with pimps and prostitutes and gunshots and heroin yeah. and like your life is just really out of, out of control. Yeah, absolutely. It's out of control. And like, I would try I would do like these cash jobs and like just trying to make rent. And we just did not make rent because we were just spending all the money on drugs. Yeah. So, you know, doing that. And then the Clark County, police department literally had to escort us out of our house after the eviction because we, we weren't leaving. Like, I don't think I've ever said this to anyone, but like when the cops came in, we just acted like we were sleeping on the floor. And if they thought we were sleeping, they would just leave us alone and go away. (laughs) Like now thinking back at it, like, Oh my gosh. Like, we didn't have any furniture in the house. Like the only thing that we had was, you know, used needles and f- cotton swabs. So, you know, uh, then we ended up sleeping on our car in Vegas and like just finding anywhere to, you know, sleep. She was selling, my fiance was selling her body so we could eat. Mm-hmm. And just, I would cry, I would call home like, please just, you know, 
send us money to get home and they would send us money so we could get home and then you know she would like yeah no like i like when i was asking for money i was like i want to come home i really meant it she'd be pissed off at me she would be sleeping with another guy or we really wanted to go and then we get the money and we're like let's just get a little bit before we drive Mm mm-hmm and then the whole cycle would be there. And like, I'm lying to my friends. I'm lying to my family. My family is sick and tired. My family is just worried, sick about me. We're in the second most dangerous part of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And like gun, like literally I, the first time that I was in Vegas, the gunshots going off across the block, I thought was fireworks. Right. Cause it is Las Vegas, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, if I hear that stuff, like I live in Montana, everyone carries a gun, but like you don't hear a gunshot go off. You just think that it's a firework. So yeah, just different, different cultures. And, you know, when I finally made it back home after getting, you know, getting shot out in Vegas, you know, almost dying in Vegas, uh, we, you know, so I'm back in Montana and we're in Montana for a couple of days mm-hmm. and my family is just like, get away from that woman. She's bad for you. I'm like, you don't know her like I do. Of course. Like, yeah. Just so we're just wherever we can sleep in Helena. And, you know, this one night, I think it was like, it was July 3rd of 2018. We're driving to uh, this house out by the lake. And like this Drake song came on. And I'm like, Hey, just change the subject or change the song. We are coming down off meth. We haven't slept in days. We just like, we haven't slept since we got back from Vegas. We're stressed the fuck out. So the song comes on. I'm like, just change it. And she's like, you're so strong. You're still strung up on your ex-girlfriend. And I go to punch my rear view mirror and I just punch it, punch it, punch it. And I see this car coming in the other lane and I yell, okay, I'm just going to kill us both. So I floor it and I go straight for this other car and she grabs the wheel and takes us into the ditch. Like, thank God she did that. I would have killed a random family. I would have killed her. I would have killed me. And she gets out of the car. She's like, you're fucking insane. Blah, blah. And I'm crying. I'm just like, I'd say her name. Like, just come back to me. Just come back to me. And she's yelling. And like anybody who can hear us thinks that I'm trying to rape and kill her. Oh. So like the we eventually make it to the house that we we're going at, and the cops show up, guns a blazing. Uh, She's hiding in the bathroom. I open up the door. I weigh like a hundred pounds, right? And I'm covered in blood because my hand from the mirror. The car's messed up. They're like, okay, where's the girl? Like, and I'm covered in blood, and like. Oh they the first thing that they ask is where's it's gonna the girl? Be like a Dateline episode. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you don't let us in, we're going to detain you. I'm like, you know what? This looks really bad. So they come in, they find her, she gets arrested. And, you know, uh, I'm just sitting there and I see this bottle of bleach and I see these bottle of pills, like ibuprofen or something. And because my source of love got arrested because it was, I, it was all my fault. Well, of course, that's what you would be telling yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I go grab the bleach and I go grab the pills and then the door knocks. There's a knock on the door. The sheriff, that they left like a while ago. They were gone. So when they were gone, like I was sitting there contemplating on doing this and the sheriff was like, hey, the girl that they just arrested, like they think that you're going to, you know, kill, she thinks that you're going to kill yourself. How about I drive you into town and just put you in a safe place with people? So what do I have the sheriff do? I have him drop me off at the dope dealer's house. Oh, goodness. Yeah. And, you know, I go and write a check. Like, I stole this check that didn't even, like, the bank account doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah, you were just, like, one thing after another, just, like, going deeper and deeper into your own ditch there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I opened up a bank account with a check that didn't even exist. Got the, because I was trying to get her bail money, went and took that money and bought meth and heroin and put as much as I could in that in my, in my arm because I was trying to kill myself. Yeah. Then I woke up in the ICU. Oh. I woke up in the ICU. The doctors told me I almost died. And thank God they called 911 or I probably wouldn't have made it. 
Mm-hmm. And like that, like where my addiction and my codependency takes me is like, if, if I'm not taking care of me, I'll use men, women, drugs, booze, Netflix, social media, whatever, to make myself feel better because I'm just, I feel like I'm not enough. Was that the the real turning point? Did that, did that become the change point for you, this overdose? You know, it was, I was like, I am not doing this shit. Like I, I, I can't do this anymore. And, you know, the, the idea of like a podcast was always in the back of my head. You know, it was always in the back of my head. And, you know, I, Gary Vaynerchuk, I would listen to him like 10 years ago. And I'm like, you know what? I like this guy. I like what he's doing. Like, this is kind of something that I would want to do. And then there's this guy, James Sweezy, who uh, he is pretty big. Like, I don't know. He's like a sober influencer, probably Uh the first sober influencer, whatever um, there is. And I'm like, you know, that's kind of something that I want to do. So I would record episodes. I'd be full of fear and just like anxiety. And then I got into another codependent relationship. And then it was two years to the date, basically today um, that that codependent relationship was ending. And then I would struggle and just like in my head and not really dealing with my codependency issue at all. Uh And then on Christmas, I relapsed. And then on Christmas, I relapsed. And like, I was, I I don't know, I was high for a while. Um, My therapist was like, well, you're high when you saw me on the first for the first time. So, and then I started my job. So I'm guessing, you know, January 5th is my sobriety date Mm -hmm. based off the documents from where I was and right whatnot. Uh, but I don't, I don't really know the exact date, but that's the date that I go with. Uh-huh. So when I woke up, so when I started from that, when I with came off the withdrawal of that relapse, I went and bought a $20 mic off Amazon. And I asked my sponsor if I could record him. Mm-hmm. And I started recording podcasts. I started going with people or that I knew business owners, whatever. And I'm like, we all go through struggles. It doesn't matter what our background is, but we can overcome them. (laughs) If I can go from 15 years old, paying my parents bills to sell drugs to people loving and trusting me and accepting me and being, and like, I, I didn't say that I had a business, but I used to have a mobile detailing business and that went really well. And because I didn't have a college education, I barely have a high school education, but I can still be resilient and keep fighting forward and overcome whatever comes in my way. Yeah. Because my dad was an alcoholic, because my mom was an alcoholic, my mom has MS. I mean, you know, I'm a white guy from Montana. It does not mean that I have struggles. Yes. There's people in life that has, that have way worse struggles than me. But my point is behind my podcast is that we can all overcome them. You know, I hate when people play the victim game. You know, I can't do it. I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. I'm not strong enough. Well, you know, when I first went into the gym at 19 years old, I could barely lift the bar. And now my deadlift is 315. So if you work hard and put in the work that you can do it. As you say, somebody, when you say about like the, the victim step, the victim card, um, someone said to me just this morning, I have a client where the sessions are kind of poetic in the way she talks and she said you know her the zipper on her victim suit gets stuck and so we are untangling that and and I love that but it's one of those things that when people start looking at what role they play in their own muck you know a lot of times they find that that's one of those either a trigger point when other people present it to them or they find that they get stuck in it themselves and misery loves company that's right. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, that's why you're able to find, you know, someone to be in a relationship with when you are at your worst, other people are too. And they, you can always, someone, you can always find someone to match where you're at in that moment. And it's a matter of like, what moment do you want to be in when you bring that person into your life, you know, but when we're caught in our mess, we don't think like that. Absolutely. No, I'm like, she's going to fix me. He's going to fix me. Mm -hmm. This Netflix series is going to fix me. And when you say the Netflix, because I do want to talk about how you now, right. Cause it's been a couple of years now. Now it's been just about two years on this time, on this trajectory where you are feeling really good about this and kind of solid in who you are and how you're living. How are you not falling into your own sabotaging tendencies? You know, 
I, to be honest, like it's like, I think every addict and alcoholic still does it. Like life still happens. Mm-hmm. Like the pandemic happened. Like I literally moved to Mo- Missoula for a business opportunity and to start my speaking career and like do more things because like Helena, they have only casinos and retirement homes. <laughs> Missoula, they at least have like live concerts <laughs> and like more like stuff yeah. to do for people my age. Right. So I moved here and then like literally I moved here two weeks later, the shutdown happened and we're not having live music. We're not doing anything. Yeah. The business opportunity didn't happen. The a friendship ended while I moved over here. Like, and I still like, Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Oh, you know what? I'm not, I don't need to do that because I, I do that. But when I can look at myself in the mirror and not happy with it, or when somebody points it out, I get back in the work. And when I do the work, I feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. Like I, and I, like, I wouldn't say that I'm depressed. Like we're just humans. Yeah. Everyone, right. everyone gets sad. You don't need to give somebody a pill to feel better. Like it's okay to be sad. So am I human? Yeah. I still have ups and downs, but I, I don't have to use today over it. Yeah. And that's and, the beauty of it. And, and I, I appreciate that you just said that. I mean, there are people that definitely have clinical depression and sometimes that can be treated with medication. But when you're talking about life happening, every, we have our ups and we have our downs and it's okay to have those down days, you know, they go on too long. We got to look and say, what do I need to do to pull myself out of this? But it's going to happen and we don't need to shut it down. We don't need to drink it away or give it a pill um, when it's just like that. And I appreciate you saying that because so many people, especially when they've gone through, whether it's an addiction struggle or they just come from like a a dysfunctional kind of family where everybody kind of just self-medicates and whatever thing it is that numbs them, they have a tendency to kind of over-question every mood change that they have. And I have a, a lot of times the people that I'm working with, we're looking at like, well, where did you come up with the idea that you had major depressive disorder or that you had bipolar? Like, where did that come from? If you've been stable for 15 years and there's been no meds and no therapy, like, why do you hold on to this idea about yourself? And even the people I work with in recovery, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I always work with them on like, I get it in the immediate. You always have that, Hey, I'm an alcoholic. I'm an addict. This is what I walk into a room with, but I also want to find out who the rest of you are. Like who's the other parts of you and you know, how are you going to tap into that so that you're also a podcaster? You're also a counselor to some kids. You're also this, you're also a good friend to people, you know, and all these things, who else are you so that you also know how to like connect with people on that level. And I think like a lot of the times it's like women that I'm working with and it's like, or, or, you know, a little bit older, older demographic of men, but like for the women, it's like, well, you're also a mom. You're also, you know, a business owner. You're also this, you're also that. And like, you can find people in those groups it's, it's absolutely, it's making absolutely. you more of than just that. I actually really appreciate that you said that, you know, right now where I'm at, like, I don't like saying that I'm an addict. Like I, I am, um, but I, I, that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. Like I, there's to be so many opportunities that I've been in recovery and like, I go on a date with someone and because I didn't shoot, because they didn't shoot up heroin. We, I automatically thought that she could not like me. She has no idea who I am, no idea about my past, but uh, because I shot up heroin and that's my past, I felt like we couldn't be a match. And she didn't know that. I'm already rejecting myself because of that. So I'm Robert. Mm -hmm. I'm a successful podcaster. I'm a human. Yeah, I've gone through struggles and probably you have too. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had failed businesses, but that like, that's not my identity who I am, you know, I want to like, I just want to love people unconditionally. Uh huh. It's, it's part of who you are. It's part of your history. It yeah. makes up who you are today and how you're influenced by the world today. And you have an acute awareness of situations that other people might not have. It makes you really in tune, like the trauma stuff makes you really in tune with other people and probably makes you really good at reading them and your codependency probably comes in handy as a skill to connect with people. 
you know? So those, those are things that you can take away that are the good parts that you're like, what did I get out of this? It's going to like help me. And then it's helping you. So, cause I wanted to talk about like that, the, the confidence stuff that, that I know that you, you post about, you know, when people follow your Instagram and stuff, you're pretty open about the good days, the bad days and stuff like that. And, and you're just mentioning, you know, that you even like you, so I asked about the sabotage. So you still do have it. It may not make you use, but like you'll do it in the relationship area where you might write somebody off because you're afraid to be rejected. Yeah, no, like absolutely. Like I, I automatically tell myself no, but Mm -hmm. when I can rewrite the script on how Robert wants it, not, not my alter ego. Like I used to go by chase. Oh yeah. But my, my legal first name is actually chase. But when I got sober, I was like, you know what? I don't want that identity. And I always want to go by Robert. That's a whole nother story, but long story short, I go by Robert now. So, you know, when I, when I get when I slip into that old behavior people will like stop being chase. And I'm like, Oh, uh-huh. That's I, like, I love that, that you changed your name, even and adopted, like an adopted, I, I assume the name was connected to you in some way, but that you adopted a real, like you literally, adopted an identity you said i'm gonna change who i am and you did i relate to that you know and uh did that myself a long long time ago and um i appreciate that i really love when because i talk so that the identity people go through identity crises and they often don't see it and Mm -hmm. you getting recovery you changing to say i'm gonna change who i am it, for you, it even came down to changing what people call you. And I think that's that's an amazing sign to say you do what you have to do to make it work for you. Absolutely. And, you know, the like anybody can do it. Yes. Like I interview successful entrepreneurs, coaches, therapists, and I interview a wide variety of people. And everyone does something similar on their way to success. So like, it's not like this magic, wonderful, like spell. Yeah. It's just doing a few simple things, self care to take care of yourself, writing things down on paper. Like I'm no one special. Like I am special, but I'm not (laughs) no one special. Yeah. You're no, no more special than anyone else. And, and in that way, right. Anybody can do what you're talking about, what I'm talking about doing. Absolutely. And especially me, if anybody is out there struggling with confidence, drug addiction, codependency, like I should probably write books on this because my life was such a hot mess, but that's not who I am anymore. You know? Okay. What's Cause it would future? make a good book. <laughs> it would, it would, but like, I'm, I was more just emphasizing like the fact that like yeah. anybody can, right. anybody, anybody can, can do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so if you're struggling out there, like reach out to your communities, you know, there are, you know, books out there. There's amazing podcasts like the one that you're listening to right now. There is just, <laughs> well, thanks. So, you're welcome. There's so many things that, you know, go to a therapist, go, you know, especially with right now, like I see a therapist the same way that we are having this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. So if you're struggling, reach out. If you don't want to leave your house, talk to people, use your FaceTime, just take care of that self-care. And like it does, it, none of this stuff happened overnight. Mm-hmm. It, it took time. Yeah. It took time. It took crying. It took a lot of hard work. But the fact that I don't have to use today to go out in public, the fact that I can call myself Robert and I'm not an addict, the fact that I can overcome these things and something that started off as a hobby is now a side hustle. And I get to have these conversations with people that I admire the most. Mm-hmm. It's something that like I could have never done if I didn't put in the work. Like I didn't think that I'd make it past 25. I honestly did not think that. And you know, I just turned 27 last month and I'm like, how am I still here? Oh, wait, wow. because I'm not an addict anymore. Yeah. I mean, you, you talked about your friend saving your life. This is the guy is your sponsor, right? But you have chosen to save your own life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, like he might've spoon fed it to me, but I could, I could have spit out the food. 
Mm-hmm. I, I could have. Um, but having that foundation and knowing where my resources are, like I'm not ashamed to tell people that I'm in therapy now. Mm-hmm. Like I don't gaslight people or floodlight them by any means. Cause like I used to do that and we'll be like, actually I, I, one reason why a friendship just ended because I did that. Mm. Um, and that's like, she set a boundary and that's okay. Like it sucks, but like, I'm because somebody set a boundary, like I'm okay with that. Those are part of life too. And there's going to be that. And there's going to be people that set boundaries that we don't want to, we don't want to hear about, or we don't want to have to deal live with and, um, and it'll hurt and you just keep going. So on that note, I want to get to where you are today with this podcast. And I want you to talk a little bit about, I know you said you, right, you're interviewing all sorts of people and it's a none of your business podcast. I, I, I get how, how it came to be, you know, you were talking about that, but what's in store for the person who tunes in and listens to it? What will they get from the show? You know, it, I think you'll just come to the realization that I, I hope that whatever listen, whatever episode you're listening to, you will gain something. You can relate. You know, the, there's a saying in uh, in twelve step programs is listen to the similarities and not the differences. So, you know, I want to welcome you to listen to the similarities and not the differences, and use the tools that my guests give you. You know, if you're struggling out there and you want to know what successful people do and how they get over their, their struggles and what they do in their free time, then, then you know, tune in. Like entre- successful entrepreneurs and whoever else, they're people too. So, you know, Evan Carmichael, he says model success. So I just welcome you to model their success and listen to the similarities and not the differences. Like the description says that we all go through struggles. It doesn't matter what our background is, but we can overcome them. And I'm going to show you how. So having, you know, a diverse population of guests on my show is is how i do that and how often does it come out right now you know uh (laughs) (laughs) i was like with my job and like this whole covid thing like it is a hot mess um so i try and do wednesday or fridays um oh weekly yeah sometimes it doesn't happen um like some i didn't post one for like a month uh-huh. Like just because when I'm on the ranch for a month, I can't edit anything. So, but now things are calming down. Um, so hopefully I'll get back into the, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, but definitely you'll have one once a week. So just go over to none of your business podcast on iTunes and look for the one with Robert DeLude because there is another none of your business podcast. Yeah, it's funny. There's so many like duplicate names out there of shows, but yeah, none of your business podcast. And there's like a um, is there is that a temperature gauge on there? What's on there? No, it's a mic with a oh. pen, and then a heart, because it's storytelling from the heart. That's right. So that's what it is: storytelling from the heart. So. All right. So watch for that. And what I always say to people when they like feel like, oh, I don't, I don't publish as much as I would like to, or I'm not always on the schedule. You know what? When people like your show, they stick around. So they'll be there when your episode comes out. And as I speak to my audience and thank them for sticking with me for the times that I just went off the grid for a long time to deal with life and uh, came back, they taught me that. So in any case, Robert, I want to thank you so much for being so open with me and honest and sharing your story, the struggle. And I just you know, wish you nothing but like success in the future. So thanks for being with me on the show today. Thank you. I really, really appreciate it. Did you know that each time you enter Amazon to shop and you go in through my storefront at amazon.com slash shop slash Dr. Colleen Mullen, a small portion of everything you purchase for 24 hours goes to help support the cost of running this podcast. So go ahead, try it out. And while you're there, you'll also find some of my favorite self-care items along with the Coaching Through Chaos bookshelf where you'll find the books for every guest we've had along the way. Thanks so much for supporting the show. Hey, I know Robert said that he is not the type of person to write the book about his life, but go check out his podcast. I do hope that he continues to pursue his speaking opportunities. You know, he's learning that staying close to what keeps you true to yourself and connected to others is a path to success. 
And that podcast is the None of Your Business podcast. You can listen to that wherever you love to play your favorite podcasts. And if you were curious about some of the ways I talk about the struggles in my life, I gave Robert an earful when he asked me about my own resiliency on his show. Coming up, we have such cool and varied guests to help us all conquer the chaos in our lives. Coming up, we have DJ Amani Roberts, who says that one night as a DJ can unlock all the business skills and creativity you need to succeed. We also have Benjamin Preston, who is dedicated to helping young professionals carve out the career of their dreams. Now, Benjamin has lived it and wants to help you go after what you want. And then we have retired Lieutenant Colonel Mona Roberts, author of the book, Not Created Equal. Now, this is going to be a deep dive of her experience as a Muslim immigrant who is searching for equality in her family, the army, and America. I can't wait to find out more about her story. I love all the guests that I have on. I think there's so many incredible people out in this world, and I love the opportunity to talk to them personally and find out what their story is, find out what makes them tick and what they have learned along their journey and have them share it with you. So I hope that you have enjoyed them as much as I have. So when that gets us wrapping up here, and as always, I want to say thanks again to my editor, Steve Cosio at Podcast Mansfield, and thank you for joining me on this podcasting journey. As I started this episode talking about the election being called and all the chaos that it caused us, both positive and negative, depending on who you are and what you think of everything, I want to encourage you to be kind to yourself and breathe through this. In fact, take a breather from it if you can. You know, this type of chaos that we are all affected by in one way or another is the type that is the most exhausting because it's always on. No when to shut it off. No when to shut the TV off. No when to get off the social media for a couple of days and detach from all of it if you can. I'll be doing the same. So until next time, take care.